Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that questions what we're generally told about what happiness is. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm meeting Raina Wynn. I've felt some of my greatest happiness in the most extremely difficult for me situations, walking on the coast path with, with no money, no food, nowhere to live. Some of the happiest moments of my life because there was nothing else. All that mattered was the next step and the next bag of noodles. Raina is a long-distance walker, a wild camper, and has written award-winning books about those experiences. First The Salt Path, then The Wild Silence, and now Landlines. And I don't even know how to begin to tell you how much I love these books. I'm a mega fan. Within days of learning that her husband, Moth, was terminally ill, the couple had their home taken away from them and lost their livelihood as a result too. Appreciating that there were huge parts of this horrendous situation they couldn't control, they turned the entirety of their anger into positivity by grabbing hold of the parts of life they did have control over. They picked a path and they started walking. That impulsive decision to walk the 630 miles of the southwest coast path led not only to a completely new outlook on life, but an improvement in Moth's health. Obviously, Raina's put what she's learned into the books, but she's also been putting on shows that just sound like the most beautiful evenings because she's basically combined tales of her walks with gorgeous folk music, which is brilliant because folk music obviously has such a strong sense of place. So Raina's book and stories are about the wild and beautiful nature and people she and Moth met on their walks. But really, I think they're about the human spirit, what we're capable of enduring and how we're able to find light in incredibly dark places. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalised card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, here it is. Here's the show. Raina, thank you so much for being on Happy Place. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I love your books so much. And they've just been a tonic to me just to get into bed with one of your books and to escape into these incredible journeys and experiences you've had has just been a joy. So thank you for writing them. Oh, no, I mean, it's it's great to have put ghost stories out there and for people to connect with them. So I mean, so they're great that you massively them. connected, massive. Mm. Like your first book, The Salt Path, which I literally couldn't put down, has been unbelievably popular for so many reasons. For anyone that hasn't read this book, it might be a good idea that we just sort of cover that quite large story, <laughs> just so people 
have an understanding of what the subsequent books are based on and I think also how you've helped so many people because I think you've helped a lot of people in terms of having hope but also making a big pivot in life and doing something very spontaneous. So if you could take us back to I guess the summer of 2013 or you might want to go back even further I don't know. Mm, 2013 probably just go back a little bit further. Um, I'd been living in this place in Wales that I bought with my husband, Moth. It was our dream home, a place we thought about for for probably a decade before we actually bought it. It was a a ruined house in the hills, holes in the walls, and and the roof was falling in, but it was exactly what we were looking for. And we'd spent 20 years of our lives restoring a place, you know, building a building it and converting the outbuildings into holiday homes so people could come and stay and share share the place with us. And um, it became not just our home, our family home, but our business where our, it was the main source of income, but where all of our life was tied up. So the whole, whole framework of our life was contained really within that property. But then sadly, in the background of those 20 years, we'd have this financial dispute with a lifetime friend that ended in a court case that saw us being served with an eviction notice from that place, that place that we'd put our heart and soul into, that had been so central to our lives. And they gave us a week to pack 20 years of life into boxes and leave, which was hard enough in itself and seemed like the worst thing that was ever going to happen. But then in that week, Masbun Moth had a hospital appointment that we thought was going to be routine, turned out to be anything but, and he was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease that had no treatment and no cure. And the best advice they could give us was uh, don't get too tired and be careful on the stairs. So we were about to leave. It was it was the last moments. The bailiffs were knocking on the door and we were we were hiding under the stairs, actually, because we, we not that we... We thought a miracle would happen, but because we just weren't ready to take that last step out of the house. How could you be? How could you be? But that moment, that was the moment when I spotted a book in the packing case. And it was a book about a young man who'd walked the southwest coast path with his dog. And just then, in that awful moment, it seemed like the most obvious thing to do. Fill a rucksack, go for a walk. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) I was so taken aback by that, reading The Salt Path, that that you had the strength, I guess, and the energy with all of that going on, which is emotionally depleting, physically horrific to go through because you're having to just move your whole life out of, as you say, your home, your heart, your soul, like everything that you'd built. And rather than go, right, how do we start again? What is possible? You kind of pushed it to one side for a bit to have this time and space to go on this epic walk and you didn't have an end date or you had like a a loose idea of where you'd like the walk to finish but really it was like let's just get a backpack and walk and I find that just remarkable that 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 you had that inner strength and that I guess there must have been something deep within you that was intuitively pulling you towards that walk. I think I think at the moment, that moment, that moment when we said, yes, let's walk, I think it was just the idea of following a line on a map. Because at that point, it was, as I said, all of our lives were wrapped up in that property. So it was like the whole framework that we'd built, everything that we'd built over the previous 20 years, gone. And 
it just left a void. So the idea of following that map almost gave us a sense of purpose, a sense of reason to the days, a reason to go on. Because at that point, I think I felt like there was no reason. Yeah. Um, later, um, thinking about it later, looking back, you know, analysing it a bit more in the, the second book, um, maybe I can see where those choices came from. But um, at that moment, it was just about that map. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I thought that I'd done some big walks, but they pale into complete insignificance in comparison to your walks. I've, I did a couple of treks uh, in my 20s, did the Inca Trail, which I absolutely loved, and did Kilimanjaro, which I absolutely loved. But they were very organised and you have, you know, people there, guides showing you where to go and you have help putting your tent up at the end of the day. There's a food tent. But you guys were quite literally wild camping. You had a tiny tent that you would just have to pop up wherever you could see fitting, which was much more challenging than, than you'd actually assumed, right? Yeah, it was really quite difficult. We couldn't use campsites because we really just didn't have enough money to to afford to do that. So wild camping was the only option, really. Um, so the, the tent just had to go wherever we could find a flat patch away from people, away from where we would cause any problem or, or difficulty for anybody else. And that's not easy to find. No. Yeah, but we did end up spending night after night on headlands, in woodlands, on beaches. And, and that became the most remarkable thing about that walk was that, that sort of sense of being part of the wild landscape around us, really. Yeah, and obviously that took some time because the first the first sort of initiation into that walk was tricky and you had very small amounts of rations of food and at times you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from. But like you say, there was so many incredible, and I'm sure at the time felt quite sort of surprising positives that came out of this really treacherous time for you one of them being that moth's health seemed to really improve on this first walk on the salt path where you were you started in was it north devon and then you moved right down to south devon south cornwall yeah follows the whole coastline from somerset north devon cornwall south devon into dorset so it's it's a it's the whole of the southwest. Yeah, really. a yeah. huge walk. And as you say at the start of, of us talking, you were given this loose advice, you know, don't let him get too tired, don't tackle stairs, chill as much as you can. And you did the absolute opposite. Like you could not walk anymore if you possibly tried, day in, day out, sleeping on the floor, in tents. But you both started to notice these improvements. So first of all, can you just tell us the, the nature of CBD? What, what does that mean for a, for a human body? What are the symptoms? And, and how did you see those symptoms dissipate over time? Yeah, well, corticobasal degeneration, it's a neurodegenerative disease. It's known as a tauopathy because it sort of originates from the tau protein in the brain not functioning as it normally would and sort of causing almost a bit like plaque on your teeth, but in the cells in your brain. And it, it affects so much of, of the, the body's movement initially. Initially, it sort of manifests as, as coordination issues and people have problems with walking, with fine motor issues. Um, but then it develops into something far more aggressive that, that eventually can affect the way you think, the way you you process and eventually leads to swallowing difficulties which inevitably don't end well so that was that was the the 
prognosis we were given. That was the future we were given. And quite a short lifespan in terms of being diagnosed and, and how much longer Moth had at this point. Yes, because he'd had symptoms for quite a long time by that point. So on the average of, of lifespan of people with CBD, he was well into those years. I mean, that is it's unbelievably... Mm just catastrophic to hear that diagnosis. You've been with Moth since you were a teenager. He's the love of your life. And all of a sudden, not only are you losing your home, but you're being given that news in the same week. I still kind of can't get over that you just didn't go, fuck this, I give up, I can't I can't take anymore. Yes, but you've said it there, Fern. He was he was everything. We'd met when I was I was eighteen in um, a college canteen. I'd looked up and seen this young man across the other side of the canteen, um, dipping a Mars bar in a cup of tea. <laughs> and just in that moment, it was like it was just I just knew without question that he was the one. And then we we had spent the rest of our well, the whole of my adult life with him. And uh, just the idea, the idea of letting go of that seemed utterly impossible. So so to not do something positive, as the walk turned out to be, yeah. would have needed us to do something that accepted all that negativity and accepted that we were in a really bad place and also that, that this diagnosis was real. Mm-hmm. And that Moth's time with me was going to be short. I couldn't accept that. So so the only other thing to do was something positive. Mm. Yeah. I mean, but you didn't know at that point that it was going to be positive. Oh, goodness, no. But it, it felt it felt positive because it wasn't it wasn't submitting to all the anxiety and fear and anger that we were feeling at that moment so what did you do because you know you, you you had a lifelong friend as, as you've said who essentially saw you lose your home knowingly saw you lose your your whole life that you'd built together what do you do with all that anger I mean I can't imagine I I, I can sort of switch to anger quite quickly and I don't like that about my personality but I can feel it if if there feels like there's injustice or something just has played out unfairly. I, I I often don't know what to do with that. And you had this on insurmountable levels. You must have felt like the world was against you at this point. What did you do with all of that? We really did because it was such betrayal of trust with our friend, but also just anger because the legal system hadn't seen the truth of it. So there was so much anger, so much bitterness. And I think had we not taken that walk, that would have come to define us. Yeah, It would have overwhelmed us and, and that is what we would have become. But there was something on those headlands, something about just being there in the environment, taking the next step, just climbing the next headland. But somehow allowed that to wear away. I don't. In, in the book, I describe it like having jagged stones in my pocket. But after two hundred miles of headlands, it's almost like they've worn down to smooth beach pebbles. Mm. And that's how it felt, as if somehow just being there in in on that incredible strip of wilderness, there between between the ordinary world and the endless horizon of the sea there was just something like being in another world almost did you feel was there an element of feeling like you were taking control back because you'd been so handed this deck of cards you're losing your home all of a sudden the love of your life has this illness two situations where you feel very out of control 
did this sort of choice of we're going to do this, we've made our own mind up and we're going to do this walk and it's not the conventional thing to do, did that somehow feel safer or grounding because you had some control over it? Yes, absolutely. And it was a complete loss of control because when you lose your house and you have no income, then you have no control. And and everything that happens to you is what someone else allows to happen. Mm. Um, so all control is gone. You can't you can't decide where you're going to live. You can't you can't decide really what you're going to do because there's no money to do anything. And control and self will almost dissipates. And when you've had that your whole life, when that has been your normal life, you know, you you drive your life forwards and suddenly you can't do that. Where are you? Where are you in your own life? Never mind go go wider society. Mm. And I think I think that walk did give give us that back because we chose to follow the map and we chose to live in that tent. But it was our choice. Mm. And it was almost, like you said, taking back control. And there's something really empowering about that to just say, this is my life and I choose how it goes forward. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, you didn't know at the start of this walk, this epic walk, how it was going to end or if it was going to end early or if you were going to quit or whatever was going to happen. But you ended up seeing these improvements in Moth's health from doing the exact opposite of what you were advised to do. So his mood, he became more mobile, but even sort of more spirited too, felt sort of mentally more mm. equipped to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, because it um, it does have quite a suppressing effect, this illness, on, on, on your mental well-being, obviously, as well as your physical well-being. But after we'd walked for quite a few weeks, uh, maybe a couple of hundred miles, I just started to notice his footprints in the dust were just a little more even. But he was he was more aware of what we were doing, more making choices, making decisions to go forwards that he hadn't been doing before. And then it all sort of culminated in one night on, on a beach. We we arrived at this beach and it was like a perfect, perfect late summer summer day and, and and the air was really balmy and the sea was like treacle and there were dolphins in the bay and we swam out and it was just a perfect day had we not been homeless and he was dying it would have been perfect <laughs> um but we put the tent at the you know above the high tide marks so we thought but then at three in the morning we weren't above the high tide marks i opened the tent doors and the tide was coming in it's terrifying yeah it was about a meter away from the tent so we had to jump out of the tent leaving most of our belongings inside and pick the whole thing up still fully erected and run up the beach and as we splashed through the water up the beach and dropped the tent down we just realized what he'd done but from being told yeah, be careful on the stairs. From the point where he'd been struggling to put his coat on without help, he'd just run up the beach, holding a fully erected tent with half our possessions in, above his head. Wow. It felt like a miracle. Yeah. And this was down to, you know, lots of things that you've discussed in the book. <clears throat> um, the physical element of it and having that aim every day and that plan, but moving your body in, I guess... It's not a gentle way because I know that you covered all sorts of terrain, but it's, you know, it's constant motion. Also, you had a very low calorie diet at this point because you didn't have many rations left. Um, but also that 
connection with nature, that importance of, like you say, almost crossing that line between having the awareness of it, but then feeling part of it. And I mm. think we underestimate how important that connection is. I think actually a lot of the time we totally dismiss it and we just think, oh, whatever. I mean, you certainly don't, but I think en masse collectively we kind of go, oh yeah, it's kind of nice going for a walk. But this has been a huge part of Moth's healing and recovery and stability. It really has. Um, and I think it's really easy to do, especially when we live in a sort of urban environment, to not put any importance on the connection yeah. to the natural world. But there, living as we were, wild on those headlands, we were we were living not alongside nature, but really as part of it. We were we were there with the seals on the beach and, mm. and the, the deer in the woodland and and, and our life was no different in many respects to theirs. And I think there's a huge, powerful shift that happens in you, in your your body, actually, when you live in that way for a period of time. It's almost, it's like, how can I describe it? it it's really, it's, it's like a sort of like strengthening in your body that it's hard to describe. But I, I noticed it happen in moth over those weeks. And it's a connection to the natural world. But it'd be really easy for us to be observers of the natural world because that's how we live. We live apart from nature, don't we? Yeah. We live separate to yeah. it. So to to actually admit, even to ourselves, that we are part of it all is something we don't really do, you know? No, but it's hugely sad that I just, we don't. Yeah, I just came into your house this morning and um, just as I was at the door, there was a, a squirrel jumped from one side of the, of the railing to the other in front of me. And I think we watch these things, don't we? We watch that squirrel jump. But what's the difference? What's the difference between that squirrel jumping across your railings and me walking up your steps? Yeah. There's no difference. We're the same and we inhabit the same space. So we must, in that way, take something from that. Yeah. I mean, I found research that says that our bodies actually chemically interact with the plant life around us. If that's the case, then we need the natural world on a really physical, physical level. So yeah. it's, it's got to be beneficial. I notice it while I'm swimming in the sea, which I love to do. And I love it for almost inexplicable reasons. It's a visceral experience and... It just feels incredible. And also with my nine-year-old, he when he's by the sea, if the sea's really rough, he comes alive. Like he just stands at the waves with his arms out. And we're watching him like, oh my God, something's going on here. And it is, you know, I think kids also that don't try and overthink or articulate mm. what's going on. So he's just in it. And the waves are like crashing near him and he's feeling it. And we're just so disengaged from it, which I think is probably one of the reasons that we have this sort of mental health crisis going on but also many new physical illnesses that have cropped up in the last probably 100 years and it's just that we like you say like the language is very nor we've normalized the the notion of oh that that's nature and, and we're humans mm. which is completely abnormal you know if you'd gone back thousands of years ago there would be no distinction it was just we are part of it all and, and you've had this extreme experience of not only feeling it but also being with your husband who obviously has had this illness that you could see visibly and then watch it decrease is that's so powerful 
It's really powerful. I mean, he was moving his body in a way that we're physically made to do. Yeah. Yeah, we're physically made to walk. Um, and so he was just walking, re-imprinting those, those memories of, of movement, the muscle memory of movement. With every day, every step, the muscle memory of movement that the tau protein in his brain is wiping out, he's re-imprinting. So in, in that way, by just doing the thing he's built to do, his brain is finding ways to bypass the bits that are shutting down. Mm. They're opening up in other ways. Yeah. And and that's an incredibly powerful thing. There's a huge, powerful connection there between being our natural selves and our well-being. Yeah. Physical, it's, mental well-being. It's all part of the same, it the is. same cycle. It makes me think, I wonder how many different illnesses, whether mental or physical, as you say, you know, it's all the same, that if doctors said, go out and have a walk in nature every day mm. or go and you know, sit in a lovely place of nature every day that makes you feel good, rather than stay inside, don't move, rest. I wonder how many more people could be helped by introducing that notion of just the simple stuff, like yeah. being out in nature and, like you say, if you can, walking. And, like, the real basics, I think... Again, it's just often sort of overlooked, but it's so, so powerful. It's such it an is. important part of how we are as human beings. It's just a simple thing. And uh, it's not prescribed, is it? No. You know? we, we know now, we're, we're so um, aware now of uh, how helpful the natural world can be for mental health. Yeah. But it's only just starting to be thought about even because it's also really important to our physical health. Yeah. Um, starting to meet, as as I've been on book tours, talked about the book with so many people, starting to meet people who are occasionally coming to me and saying, I have this illness and I've walked and the symptoms are held at bay. Mm. Only two days ago I was talking to someone who had Parkinson's Similar, yeah. similar, slightly connected illness to, to moths. Yeah. And she walks every day. Every single day she walks five miles. Every day. And now, 15 years into her Parkinson's, wow. she has a slight tremor. She doesn't take medication. It's not going to fix everybody. But, but you know, why not get out and go for a walk yeah. in the trees? Absolutely. Why not? Why it's never, not try? never a bad idea, is it? It's I've never, never regretted going for a walk, ever. No. Like after I had sort of collated all my notes for today, yesterday, I was like, I'm just going to take note of Raina here. And I had a massive walk, way longer than I would normally walk. Because I'd normally think, oh, I don't want to get overtired when the kids get back from school. I just kept walking. I felt bloody brilliant. Like, there's, you never, ever regret it. I'll, I'll go back to talking about health in a minute when we when we get on to your latest book that I also loved reading, Landlines. But before that, continuing on the salt path note, lots of surprising things are in this book to read about, but also things that you experienced. And uh, one of them being wonderful and awful, and that is how other people react to you when you are out on a very long walk like that. So you've got the kindest of kind coming out when you're meeting people and you don't have food and you don't have shelter and people offering you lifts or food or well within this book a place to stay which is 
I think, uh, again, we underestimate that that is possible when we're out and about. We just sometimes think, oh, I'll be ignored or people are rude, you know, habitually or whatever. But you really experience that kindness. But on the very harsh other end of that, the discrimination towards homelessness is sadly much rifer than I had wanted to believe. I think, you know, we all have an awareness that that discrimination exists, but the amount of abuse that you got, people just talking to you very unkindly or walking away if you mentioned that you were homeless is sadly very shocking and very prevalent. And I know that homelessness is something that you've put a lot of thought and energy into since writing The Salt Path and the activism around that. And I mean, I want to be hopeful and I want to assume that there are good things happening. I know that obviously during the lockdowns, there were solutions in place and empty hotels became a place of refuge for the homeless. But that's now sadly gone back to the ways prior to the lockdowns. And we're kind of still in a terrible mess with that one. And actually, one of the really surprising things reading your book was my own assumptions that I had made and them being completely wrong. People assuming that a lot of homelessness is due to addiction and that people have got themselves into that mess because of that. And that is such a low percentage of people that are actually on the streets at the moment or classified as homeless. What have you learned since? Being now, you know, very invested emotionally in this subject matter and wanting to help. You know, can we help? What can we do? What What have you learned on that subject? I think, I think as you said, the, the, uh, the hardest thing to come to terms with when we became homeless was the reaction of other people. To find people actually physically recoil from you when they found you were homeless was was shocking. It was shocking. And, and it took us probably to the lowest place, that place where you question your whole sense of self. And it's a long way back from that. And... That point is reached by most people who find themselves rough sleeping on the streets. Those figures, those figures that we see for rough sleepers on the streets are are so skewed. Yeah. They're so wrong. There's snapshots taken at certain moments on certain days when they can't they can't wake anybody who's asleep to check if they're a rough sleeper. Or if the person isn't there that they know exists, they don't go on the numbers. So those numbers are hugely skewed. Yeah. And like you say, those rough sleepers are just a very, very thin end of the wedge. Behind that are hundreds of thousands of people who are homeless, sofa surfing yeah. or, or just drifting between family and friends or camping in people's back gardens or mm-hmm. however they're living. And it's been it's been shocking to find what those numbers are and what the realities of, of homelessness are. I spent some time with um, the street food project in uh, Penzance a couple of weeks ago and um, they produce hundreds of meals for people within that locality who, for one reason or another, can't eat. But the, they were telling me that in their local Premier Inn were 80 families who were there because they had no home. 80 families in that small place who weren't allowed to go and eat in the connected restaurant because they were there as homeless people. Hmm. And so they were being fed by the street food project. And that's the attitude that we take. Hmm. And and I think, I think, yes, we solved it all during lockdown. We solved it because it was everyone in. But then afterwards, it was everyone back out again. Yeah. And 
and there were areas where, such as Bristol, where the street homeless numbers tripled from one side of lockdown to the other. And this winter coming, as things are, it's only going to get worse. And then we've got the cost of living crisis going exactly. on, so people can't even afford to put their heating on. It's like, it's just, what a terrifying mess. What it's a terrifying only going mess. to get worse. But if if it's not being addressed from the top down, which it isn't, no, no. then the only way to deal with it is from the bottom up, Yeah, as far as I can see. And the only way we can deal with it is to say, these are our homeless within our community, within our area. These are the people who, who need the help. If it's not coming from the top down, then it has to come from us. Yeah. And I can't see any other way of approaching it. So it's community-based. It's community knowing what's based. going on in your own area, if there are initiatives that are set up to help, soup kitchens, food banks, etc., and just trying to support on your own. Because when you look at it, even in a national sense, it's terrifying. You think, oh, God, I can't infiltrate that in a positive way. How would I help at all? But if we can look on a community level, that's... Because like you say, it's not... It's probably never going to come from the top. No, it isn't. It isn't. But it's a problem that we have, that we hold as part of our society. Mm. And do we ignore that? Or do we say each of those people that have come to that position have come through their own story, their own yeah. their own route? They're all individuals. They're not, they're not problematic statistics. They're, they're individuals that need our help. Yeah. And, you know, we can all chop some carrots for the street food project yeah. or... or Whatever it takes. Mm, mm. But I think, you know, knowing that even the numbers that seem shocking, either in your books or ones you can Google, are way, way lower than the, the numbers in reality. It's um, it's definitely motivating, to say the least, for us all to try and do a little bit where we can and, and help where we can, because it's, it's just an unbelievable problem. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So I really want to get on to this latest book, which I've already hinted to you earlier before we started that I loved and I wept, wept at the end. It's so beautiful. So this was a, a whole other adventure. So you had noticed that Moth's health again had started to decline and that his levels of comfort weren't so great. So you tentatively had this other guidebook, this this trail book floating around and you kept leaving it in certain areas of the house for Moth to perhaps sort of see and get a hint. And you went on this extraordinary adventure that starts in Scotland. But I know the start of that walk for you emotionally was very mixed because you felt a lot of guilt and a lot of guilt that Moth might not really want to be there and also if it was the right thing to do. How did you push past that guilt to then have this extraordinary adventure? Exactly. It was so, so difficult. It was good. It was... So it was the winter of 2021 and uh, we were in that final lockdown. And just like everyone else, we were trapped in our locality. Moth wasn't walking as much as he needed to. 
doing all the other physical things that he always does. But alongside that, he normally takes quite a lot of long walks and we weren't really doing that. And his health began to decline really quickly. And um, to the point where he was almost accepting that this was it, those final stages were, were coming. But I couldn't face that. And like you said, found this little guidebook to the Cape Wrath Trail, the most remote, the most isolated trail in the country, in, in you know, the highlands of Scotland that goes through the great wilderness and the rough bounds of Noidart, areas that don't have roads, that you can only reach on foot and by boat. But I knew he would love to go there. It was a place he'd always wanted to go, but never had time to spend. And so I just left that guidebook around the house <laughs> and it came to the point where he brought it into the kitchen he slapped it down on the worktop and said mm, going north then <laughs> <laughs> what a great announcement <laughs> but then we got there and the reality of it struck and we were mm. in this incredible wild landscape wilder than anywhere else in britain it's dark and foreboding but also incredibly just you and the natural world there was yeah. nothing, nothing else and the guilt started to really build up at that point that I'd brought him, I'd encouraged him to this wilderness, wild, exposed, desolate place, when really all the, all the instincts that you have when you're with someone who's ill is to wrap them in cotton wool and keep them on the sofa, but I dragged him to this place and he was unsure whether he even had the strength to do it mm. and so the guilt was massive and it, it grew and it grew mm. but then you had this really amazing moment where you were able to like push the guilt to one side because you had noticed again out of the blue these physical improvements and you were almost sort of blinded by the guilt so you hadn't seen the incremental improvements and then you were like oh actually this is it's working again and he was getting his strength back and then Without either of you really saying it, you realised you wanted to keep on walking. Once you'd reached Fort William, which is where you'd sort of planned to end the walk, mm. neither of you were quite ready. Yeah, it was a bit of a struggle, but we made it down to Fort William. And um, Moth, you know, his health was improving. His his walking was more more fluid. His, his fine motor movements were better. He was putting the, the top back on the water bottle without such a an issue. He was tying his boots up without help. But he really felt it hadn't his health hadn't improved as rapidly as it had um when we were on the coast path. But then he was coming from a worse point than we had then. But then he said, let's go on. He chose to go on. We were sitting on a um a bench in Fort William and we thought there were three other people on the bench, but uh, two of them got up and left and the third one was a statue. And it was a statue of a man with his leg crossed, rubbing his foot, and it was the end marker of the West Highland Way. And and Moth was saying, okay, another ten days, maybe a week, you know, hundred miles, maybe maybe just another hundred miles further, and that will do it. So the guilt began to dissipate then because it was his choice to go. Yeah, on. and then we went on and on. <laughs> And on. And on. And then you, get, you had this uh, incredible moment yet again where you thought you'd kind of come to an end point where, yeah, you know, we've done that extra surprising leg of this extraordinary walk. And then you decided to keep walking all the way home to Cornwall. Well, yes. I mean, we'd 
by that point, we'd walked the Pennine Way, and that was another 268 miles. Of course, there's incredible blanket bogs. And um, we, we'd reached sort of Manchester. And suddenly, half the country was behind us. Wow. And it, it felt like the obvious thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> to you. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> it's just mad from Scotland to Cornwall. It's so brilliant. It's so... I mean, just reading these adventures, there's so many magical and inexplicable moments along the way. And you talk about this trail magic, these moments where things just happen. And, you know, the stories of all the different people that you've met. What can you put trail magic down to? What is that? Is it mindset? Trail magic. It's such a wonderful idea. The idea that, you know, when you're on a long distance trail, that what you need or what you want will come to you, you know, just magically. It will come to you. Or at least you'll feel some sort of like awe and wonder. Yeah, we, we met a group of people on this really remote campsite that you could only get to by foot or boat. And it was on the most beautiful bay I've ever been to. And uh, they were talking about trail magic, the idea that, you know, that things will come. And we were almost out of food. And the following morning, it was sort of four o'clock, it was the light was just starting to break. And this hand came beneath the fly sheet of the tent. And I was like, what is happening? This is awful. <laughs> and this hand put a Mars bar and some Harry bows into the pan that was in the, under Genius. the fly sheet. And I was about to say something, <laughs> but I saw this outline of a person put a finger to their mouth and go, shh, it's trail magic. <laughs> and it, it was wonderful. Um, but that's that's what it feels like. It's the, the idea that on those long distance paths that they induce some sort of like honesty that we don't have in normal life because in normal lives we're so guarded and and careful. Mm. Um, but when you've been walking for a long way, then people, and it seems to happen that everyone you encounter that has walked a long distance can have that same sort of sense of openness mm. and willingness to share, not just the Haribos, but, <laughs> but to share themselves. Why do you think that is? Is it because you know that you've just met another bunch of people that are perhaps also just thinking more about survival than happiness or everyday shenanigans that, you know, our minds are full of nonsense a lot of the time in everyday life. I think you've said it there. It's about the happiness, actually, mm. because I think when you've walked all those miles, somehow you've sort of shed those layers of of anxiety, those layers of of madness, those layers of, of concern about everyday sort of things. And what you're left with is, is something a little more raw, yeah. something a little more real. And and that's what you're encountering. You're yeah. encountering the depth of someone. Yeah, ra- there's no suit of armor. The surface. Yeah, because yeah, we're all sort of turning up with like, we want the person that we're with to see the best version of us, the, yeah. the energetic version of us and the put together version of us. And actually in that circumstance, you know, I can think about even the little walks that I've done probably on day four and you've done a wee in front of your mate or whatever and you think, actually, I'm not putting on any front. I am just going to be straight up me and that might mean silence or it might mean talking about something that feels really important in that moment but you just drop all the layers of stuff and the roles that you carry around with you and that's on a tiny walk that I've done but I can't even imagine the levels of I guess freedom you would feel in that sense of losing all of those 
expectations of yourselves and and dynamics that you feel you have to involve yourself in. There is perhaps a freedom in that. There is a huge freedom because we carry so much that we don't even realise. Yeah. We, we think we are just being ourselves and being this wonderful, upfront, loud, vivacious person. Mm. Whereas actually... We don't we don't notice ourselves building that layer upon layer upon layer of shell. Yeah. That creates that. Um it's like today. I arrived here after three hours on the motorway, after not going to bed till four o'clock this morning. Oh god, Rainer. Um and last night, having done the washing for the first time in two weeks, and then realizing this morning that I was going to come and meet Fern Cotton and I had no dry clothes. <laughs> so I came here in the most rem- Random outfit, <laughs> having not washed my hair since the gig last night. It was very hot. Your hair amazing, by the way. And knowing that my face has had a massive breakout because because I've eaten cheese and I'm allergic to it. <laughs> it gets better. But, but that's that's what you encounter yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on a long distance trail. Is that person in the raw? That that real person that's underneath the. Mm. So you the met layers. the real you. Yes, and that's the thing. You don't know real you because we never have give ourselves the opportunity to find it I don't know if I've met the real me like maybe in tiny snapshots like giving birth or like those moments where you do just have to get rid of all like everything all the pretension all the pretension yeah like in labor certainly when I'm sort of like was roaring like a lion I was probably yeah I didn't care what anyone thought or and it's those moments are few and far between. Mm. Whereas for you on these long walks, that's an incremental shedding where you go, oh. And w- did you have a moment where you were like, oh, this is me. This is nice. I think there was a moment on the south coast of the coast path when we were just leaving Falmouth. And, and it was very, very crowded. It was summer. There were lots of people eating scones and jam and and, and there were wasps everywhere and beer and, and people, people, people everywhere. And we took this tiny ferry over to a place called Place. And suddenly we'd left all those people on the other side of the water and there was no one on the other side. And we carried on walking and we went into this part of the coast path where there was loads of undergrowth and it was almost like you were walking through tunnels of of blackthorn and gorse and and brambles Mm. and 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 I almost felt like almost like a, a rabbit disappearing into the into the undergrowth and that sense of here I am this is me here I am not that person that person I think I am but here it's a real, a real person. Yeah. Um, and I think ever since that moment, I think I've I've held on to that that knowledge that however many layers we have to put on for life, sometimes you have to take them off again and well, find, find what's underneath. Yeah, it's difficult because now you know you you're sort of integrated back into the the chaos of everything. You know, your book tours or the shows that you've been put, the musical shows you've been putting on or doing press for your books like this, you, it's it's much harder to feel that sense of I know who I am and it is this, you know, being that's connected to the nature that likes peace. And, you know, I know myself as, as much as I can. As, as I've got older, it's certainly got easier to detect, oh, no, this feels right. And I like small, quiet, peaceful, less people around. You know, I really 
love being on my own and I love, yeah, just finding those moments of peace. I think that's the closest I can get to going, oh, yeah, I can feel who I am. Whereas if I'm around a lot of people, noise, this is when my head starts going, what, what do these people want me to be like? And, you know, you just start to spiral. So I can imagine it's a lot harder now you're not on a path every day waking up in a tent with that beautiful nature and all around you. Maybe it takes more effort to lose those layers? I think I have to do it consciously now. Yeah. Rather than, you know, when you're on a trail, it just happens without you noticing. I've been, as you said, on tour with a, a folk band and we've produced this this wonderful thing. I'm not really so sure cool. what it is, but it's this like production that's a combination of words and music and it's become a portrait of the southwest of of the people the traditions the place and we had our final night last night mm. in uh, Milton Keynes and it was sold out and it was full of people and massively enthusiastic but there's this this thing when I'm on stage because I'm a really not gregarious person I'm not <laughs> a person who's happy in crowds at all but there I am on a stage delivering all these words and uh for that, obviously, I've got to put on those that, yep. that other person. But when it finished, I had to go outside. I had to go outside. It was pouring with rain and just look up at the sky and say, okay, I can breathe now. Yeah. Here, I, here I am. And I have to take those moments because I think, I think now I know I need to keep going back to that place because mm. mentally, physically, that's where my well-being resides yeah is in that I think it does for most of us and we ignore it and we push through no come on you've got to do more experience more push myself and actually I mean you can still you know you've proved very much you can push yourself but in the most natural way of using your own body to walk and ex and experience the extremities of the natural world but we don't have to push ourselves through stress and people and noise and chaos we do need to counterbalance it and have that time out and that respite and we and we don't we you know I think our whole culture is sort of built on that no keep going like push 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 and it's you know it's not good for any of us and I think the other thing that became very obvious to me from reading your books is you know not only if we go back to that sort of trail magic not only do you have to get into quite a hopeful mindset at times for survival but actually you leave room you leave space which again we don't do in the modern world we cram every minute of the day with things we should be doing and obligations or whatever it might be but you you leave this room on a walk like that where magic or the unexpected does come in and some extraordinary things can happen if you give the space for that there has to be the room for it I don't think magic or the unexpected can fit into a very very busy schedule there's just not space but you had all these extraordinary things happen like in your first book the yoga guy that you bump into who basically sort of tells you your future which then comes into fruition he says something really random like you'll walk with a tortoise and then you end up down the way seeing a guy walking a tortoise I mean you have to leave room for those little moments to occur. Oh, you do. You do. You have to be open to them and open to the possibility of them, I mm. think. And I think we're often so close that we don't even notice those those weird moments in life when they're happening. I mean, who who ever is going to tell you you're going to walk with a tortoise? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But then to find that actually there is someone walking a tortoise on a dog lead and he calls it lettuce and takes it out for a walk every day. <laughs> you, you really... Those moments, you just don't, 
Yeah. You don't witness them. But when you've got your head down and you're going from A to no, B, you, you just don't. don't witness them. I felt excited reading those moments because there's loads of moments like that in your book where you end up mm. <clears throat> staying in a random barn for the night and you meet a whole bunch of brilliant characters. And it really made me excited, like, oh, no, I, I need to just leave more room and those moments will happen without effort, without forcing them, without desperately wanting them to happen you've just got to leave the space yes you can't find those things no you can't go out and look for them and say today i'm going to have an experience no you've got to be open to allow it to happen you've got to got to leave as you say a space an emptiness but we're such control freaks aren't we that we don't and i think that's again what you and moth have demonstrated so perfectly in these books is that Okay, you you gain some control in saying we're making this decision, we're going to walk. But actually, on a daily basis, you have to sort of let go. And I think we all find that very difficult to... You've then got to have hope and faith that you're going to be okay. You know, you've got kids. You want to, at the end of this walk, be able to go and see your children and say, we did it. Here we are. We're fit. We're fighting. We're healthy. So you have to have that that hope and faith. And I think rather than... I'm talking collectively here. Rather than all of us leaning into hope we get very controlling and it must be like this so that everything is going to be okay and actually that really doesn't serve us as well I think we we all think we can plan plan our way out of every situation that that by making a schedule then everything will will work out and it will all be okay (laughs) I hate it we all do we all do and the busier we get the more we do it yeah but sometimes I think if you just allow yourself that space, then things can take their own route. They can take their own course. We allowed ourselves to walk down the country, whereas actually my schedule said I should have gone back. Yeah. Yeah, but we allowed ourselves to do it. And that's the thing. We tell ourselves we can't do things. We tell ourselves it's not possible because I have to A, B, C, D. Mm. But do you? No, usually. (laughs) No. Um, I think most of us could go, do I have to? Probably not. Probably not. And sometimes, then, when you say, I don't actually have to, that's where... That's the the space. The hope, the space, the trail magic falls in. Mm, It's so important. It's so important. This is a huge spoiler alert for anyone that wants to read Landlines and not know the end. But there is the most moving, moving moment, which I said I wept at. I haven't given away that very, very ending. Let's just say everything that we've talked about today and everything that you've talked about in your books, the power and the connection of nature, hope, giving yourself space, physically moving your body every day in the way that it's supposed to, human connection, experiencing kindness from other humans. What we can say is all of that is everything like it's so it's so important it's not all the other stuff it's not being popular it's not having the supposedly perfect job the supposedly perfect new trendy pair of shoes it's not all that crap what we've talked about today is so much more powerful than any of us could ever believe (laughs) (laughs) that's it summed it up (laughs) (laughs) without giving too much away yeah 
That sums it up. And it is, that's why everybody needs to read all of your books. And then they need to go and find their own path and their own trail and their own trail magic and create the space. I think that's it. You can't, you can't um, choose someone else's life. No. You can't, you can't follow a a profile on social media and say, that's the life I want to live. Because there's only your life will fit you. And you need to choose that for yourself, for what genuinely comes from within you, not for the influences you take from outside. And then life changes in the most remarkable ways because then you fit your life. Yeah, You don't fit someone else's life. And then you don't fall short because I think when you're trying to be someone else or replicate someone else's path, success, whatever it is, you feel, and I've definitely done that when I was younger, sort of emulate other people. And then you feel like, well, I'm not, hitting the mark it's not I don't feel anything or I'm just or I'm, I feel like I'm failing or whatever I'm not as good as that I'm not I'm as not. good yeah the yeah. comparison yeah. but when you know everything that you've done since that you know diagnosis of your husband and losing your house everything you've done has been from within it's been a turn inwards a look at what you really feel your intuition those guidebooks pulling you without you being able to even make sense of your next step, your next decision. It's all been that gut feeling that I think all of us want to experience and trust. Because I think you do have to trust it. You can feel it, but you've got to then trust it to do the action bit as well. You absolutely have to. Maybe it was easier for me because all those other things of life have been taken away. So it allowed me to to trust those instincts, to, to feel those emotions mm. anew. But sometimes even within life now, um, I have to do that. You've got to, you've got to trust what you feel because it, it actually emanates from you and not from some other outside influence Yeah, because that's the, that's the real feeling that will take you forward. Yeah, and it takes a lot of courage because I think we all get swayed by what everybody else is saying, what everyone's thinking, and sometimes you might want to do something that's completely opposite to everyone around you. It could seem like completely out of the blue and the unconventional option, but if it feels right to you, that is the right path. Absolutely, it is. When we were walking down the Pennine Way, it was this incredible storm on the moors, um, fork lightning falling all around us, and the path turned into mud, and we were heading down through this forest, and coming up towards us, there was this old man, and his, his pack, his rucksack, and his clothes were just pouring in water, and he got this huge beard, and it was full of twigs and sticks, and we said, where are you going? He's he said, I'm walking a Pennine Way. He said, well, in this storm, what are you doing? He said, no, it doesn't matter. Tomorrow the sun will shine. Tonight I'm just going to go and sleep under the trees and the trees will protect me and it'll be fine. I just do five miles a day. That's all I can do. I'll sleep here. Tomorrow I'll go on. Mm. A few days later, we met another old man dressed in lycra, looking very, very sad. We said, you know, what's, what's the matter? What's the problem? And he said, I'll never walk another long-distance path, this or any other, again, in my life. And I've walked this six times already, the Pennon way. I said, well, why? You know, expecting him to tell us that he was ill. And um, he said, because I've always done the Pennon way in 10 days, and now it's going to take me 15. This was a man in his 70s, and he was telling us, that this thing that he'd had this passion for, walking these paths, he was never going to do again because he didn't meet his own criteria for what made it acceptable. 
And yet there was that other old man just plodding along. Yeah. And I know that he will keep walking until he can't take another step. And he'll take immense pleasure just from the beauty of the landscape. Yeah from the lightning, from the rain, from sleeping on the pine needles. Mm. And I think I think that's the thing. Step away from the pressure and smell the pine needles. Oh, I like that. That's got to go on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And I think, you know, on a similar note, my massive takeaway from reading your books has been that we often think happiness is going to come from absolute comfort, extreme comfort in every way down every possible avenue of comfort and actually what your books have proved is that it's completely the opposite if you put yourself in very testing situations where your focus is not on comfort it's on survival subsequently you will just have moments of happiness that will just creep in without you controlling them or desperately wanting them they'll just appear Absolutely. Um, I felt I felt some of my greatest happiness in the most extremely difficult for me situations. Walking on the coast path with, with no money, no food, nowhere to live. Some of the happiest moments of my life because there was nothing else. Because all that mattered was the next step and the next bag of noodles. On this tour with the band, on, with this weird Salt Lines project that we've created completely absolutely out of my comfort zone performing on a stage and yet with this wonderful incredible group of the most almost miraculous musicians that I would never have met had I not been homeless on the coast path mm. yeah some of the best things in life come from the worst moments yeah. And I think somewhere in there is where real happiness lies. I completely agree with you. And I can't thank you enough for, first of all, writing these brilliant books, but being here today and, and talking to me. I am going to go on a walk straight after this, get in the park and smell the pine needles. Fantastic. Do you know what? It's just so true that the great outdoors creates an honesty about who you are. I love that concept. Raina, thank you so much for sharing all those stories with us. I just loved them. You can go on more travels with Raina in her latest book, Landlines. It's a completely beautiful read. And I would definitely urge you to look into what you can do on a community level to help those who are homeless. I'd also love for you to share your experiences of transformative experiences in nature on Instagram. Tell us what's helped you. Maybe some really special places you visited. We're at Happy Place Official on Instagram. Until next time, thank you again to Raina, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you. You are the best. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com